The arc of the universe does not bend toward justice, Roman justice, the goddess Justitia, that's incorrect. The arc of the universe made by the Creator, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bends toward mercy. God's justice, today on In the Shadow of the Cross. in the shadow of the cross everyone i am lauren rosser and i am here once again with my friends jim durkin good evening and michael harden present and you know (laughs) present yes check all right glad you're here please remain in your assigned seat no wandering around the room all present and accounted for (laughs) so today you know i'm in the midst of a of, of moving and uh, so my house is a complete disaster and one of the things that happens when you're moving is you discover all the businesses and government entities that don't respond to your phone calls and just create high levels of frustration and you know when you're in a, a, a tight time schedule of needing to get things done and so it was making me blow my stack a few times and this got me to thinking about God's justice because <laughs> it looks nothing like ours <laughs> so so I was thinking that would be a great topic tonight because a lot of people we've we've discussed the gospel and the cross and um, it's been unwinding a lot of perspectives about um, God's love and and we've brought up that there's no fear in the gospel so for a lot of people that brings up a, a real problem because it's like well what about God's justice what about the evil that's in the world what about the evil that people have done does, does God just not care about it does it not matter um, so I thought that would be a great topic to talk about tonight. So um, let's go ahead and just jump into that. Um, what do you think, Jim and Michael? Is is God just? That's a uh-huh. uh, <laughs> that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, it's interesting that uh, the feedback that you get, or the pushback, maybe is a better word. Uh, as soon as you start talking about God's love and mercy and things like that, the first word that many times comes up is, yes, but God is also a God of justice. (laughs) Right. Sometimes I wonder, like, well, what exactly does that mean? Uh, It sounds like if I was to judge someone, which I try not to do, but... If I was to judge someone, it sounds almost like what you're putting out as God's justice is he's going to get all the blankety-blank so-and-sos in my life that I really don't like because, after all, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, you know. And and it's like um, I'm answering a question with a question, but, but really, is that God's justice? You know, we, we, I think we've talked about in the past, at least we've kind of kicked around the idea that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We talked about this last week. Um, in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. And then we kind of put that in different boxes. And we were talking last week about dispensational boxes. Well, (laughs) yes, in the dispensation of grace or mercy or church or whatever, God is able to be all loving and kind and forgiving, (laughs) but then there's a day coming of God's wrath, you know. And it's like, well, wait a minute, what part of I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, uh, you know, does that kind of thinking fit? So uh, I talked in circles there to say, 
this is going to be a good subject. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, because because that's the thing. It's like you uh, you know it's it's easy to talk about God being love and His justice looking involving love until you're wronged and you and you mm-hmm. feel that anger in yourself rise up and uh, and and what i realized today what was pushing my buttons was how dare you treat me this way you know there mm-hmm. there needs to be some justice here this needs to be made right you know and uh, and and yet i know i'm just kind of giving a, a peek ahead that, that that's not what God's justice looks like. His his justice is not like our justice of, of you know, evening the score or, or getting you what you deserve or something like that. Because like you said, Jim, if, if, if the Father looks like Jesus and he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then that means his justice can't look like our justice. Yeah. So, Michael, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I've been taking notes here. How many how many hours do I have? <laughs> well, we have one hour, but we can extend for weeks. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> let me let me then just throw out a number of things. Um, the first thing is when we say God is just, um, we in our theological tradition are claiming to make a statement about an attribute of God. And over the course of two thousand years, we've kind of found all kinds of attributes. God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, God is just, God is righteous, God is holy, God is true, God is good, God is kind, God is just, God is merciful, I mean, you know, and many other things. So, um, we have this God that's a pile of adjectives, right? Yeah. And part of the problem is some of those adjectives don't fit with some other adjectives. Love and wrath don't fit, mm-hmm. right? See what I'm saying? Mercy yeah. and, and justice don't fit. So we have to ask something. What we have to ask is this. If what we see in the life, teaching, and ministry of Jesus is a merciful Father, and that's what we see, okay? A merciful Father. If that's what we see, then... We have to begin all of our theological thinking there and say, whatever justice is, it has to be able to fit in that framework of mercy rather than the other way around. And so, one writer in the New Testament really got this, and he wrote his greatest letter about this, and it's the Epistle to the Romans. The Epistle to the Romans is all about justifying a God. When we hear we translate it as the righteousness of God, as though it was God's righteousness. It's the righteousness about God. What makes oh. God's righteousness right? Okay? okay? And when you read the first four chapters of Romans, it's a narrative where, where Paul, he's bringing his message. He's coming to Rome. This is an ambassadorial letter, as Bob Jewett pointed out long ago, and it's sent ahead because he's having to deal with factions in Rome, some of which are pro-Pauline, but some of which are pro-Jerusalem church. And there is there is a, a mission from that church. They sent Peter out into Paul's mission field and it created all kinds of problems in Corinth. Oh, boy. Whether Peter is headed to Rome or whether some other emissaries are headed to Rome, I don't know. But somebody is headed there with a very specific message about Gentiles and conversion and what it means and how uh, Gentiles have to become Jewish before they can become Christian, right? That whole thing that Paul has to deal with in Galatians. And so what Paul has to do is he has to say, you have a wrong view of the covenant, okay? Your view of the covenant is that it's narrow and Jewish. God's view of the covenant is for the whole of humanity. And so he, he uses that trope in 118 to 32, where he sets up the interlocutor and their message about the wrath of God's coming upon the Gentiles, because they're just a bunch of gay people, blah, 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 right? <laughs> then he turns right around in this extraordinary diatribe where, again, he's creating his interlocutor, okay? This is good rhetorical practice. And he's debating his interlocutor back and forth and back and forth, okay? 
And he does this in chapters uh, 2 and 3. And then he gets to chapter 4. He says, there's a whole thing here you have to understand about this business. And it has to do with, Dikaiosuna has to do with trust, pistis. Now, Abraham trusted God, and that was credited to him as a righteous act. It is a righteous thing to trust the message that one hears from God. Then, Paul gets into his own theology. He hasn't done any of his own theological thinking yet. Okay? Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, he's getting to his own theological thinking. And where does he start? He starts with suffering. I mean, he comes right out. Since we have been declared rectified by trust, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's those of us that can't be rectified by Torah, that can't be rectified by, you know, justified, we're rectified because we trust that the Father said he loves us and he loves us, and it's just kind of that simple, right? And then he goes and he talks about we rejoice in sufferings, and, and how does he, he ends this whole section with the suffering of creation. And then he says, neither death nor life nor angels or principalities or things present or things to come shall separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing, no suffering in, in the creation could separate us from the Father's love for us in Jesus. And then he says, look, you Israelites, let me help you think this through. You got this election thing right. You're partly right about this election thing. You were chosen. You had a mission. You have a purpose. Okay? But you missed it. Why did you miss it? Because you were counting on the election of your forefathers rather than looking to yourselves. And he says, so you know what happens at the end of all this? Yeah, you're the tree, but the Gentiles, God grafted them right in. And you want to know something? They're growing on your tree. And you know what God did do? He placed all of us, Jews and Gentiles, under disobedience, screw-ups, in order that... He might have mercy on them all. <laughs> the arc of the universe does not bend toward justice, Roman justice, the goddess Justitia, that's incorrect. The arc of the universe made by the Creator, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bends toward mercy. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that, that definitely messes with our... Uh... Our, our worldly paradigms of the way we, we look at justice as, as being an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we don't, it's, even as Christians, you know, we know what Jesus said about that. We don't like to acknowledge that that is our view of justice, you know, is that, is that okay, well, for now, like Jim said, we're, we're in that window of time right now where it's merciful. But, you know, there is a day coming where God is going to do the, the eye for an eye thing and the tooth for a tooth thing. And he's keeping score and he's going to level it out. And then, Michael, everything you just laid out. Out there it's like no that it, it the universe hinges on mercy not on on our like you i like how you said that the roman view the uh the, the and you could say the american view of justice you know you, you see it in every every movie we release you know the bad guy's gonna get it in the end oh, yeah. and uh and and what uh what you just unpacked there is is massive because that that just unwind so much of our thinking so then then what what happens then so okay so let, let's just put this like into a, a real world scenario so so i've got some let's just say somebody has wronged me in some way or let, let's even go on to the big scale the the, the you've got a, a evil villain in the world who is doing terrible things okay stop <clears throat> stop okay what what you've done is you have moved from this great conversation into the absolute abstract. Paul's message, Paul's message is for those that can hear it. Okay? Now, once you go, well, now there's a bad person in the world, now is it right? Can we just stand aside? And then we can do the whole Bonhoeffer talk, you know, and all that right. stuff. Okay. That's, that's the wrong way to go about all of this. Here's the bottom line. The gospel calls every single person that hears it to discipleship. The, the gospel is an invitation to discipleship. The message to you is, I love you, come follow me. Okay? Yeah. The, the, that, the person that hears that message, audira, audio, in, 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 
becomes ob audaira, obedient. They hear that message and they live that message, right? So there is there is no general ethics we're preaching here. We can't talk about governments. Governments never follow Jesus. We can't even talk about institutions like the church because it doesn't follow Jesus. When we talk about this kind of mercy and forgiveness, we have to do it on a very, very personal level. And one thing that means for all of us is we are called, each one of us, to recognize that God has forgiven the entire creation, whether we like it or not. And we are invited to trust that the Father looks out at this chaos, however you want to understand it, looks out at this injustice, however you want to understand it, looks out at human history and its evolutionary process with all of its screw-ups, and however you want to understand it, whatever, the Father looks down and says, they're forgiven. I will treat them with forgiveness and mercy. And he does. And the only ones that seem to get in the way are religious authorities of all times and places. Whether it's the Pharisees in Jesus' days or the pastors and elders and temple keepers of our own time that stand in the way and say, no, we can't, we don't like that message because we, if you believe that, we can't control you. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything I was just saying, that, that that was actually what I was hoping you would pick up was that, because that is the, argument i was playing devil's advocate there of that that's the it's kind of like the one of like what about when the person comes into your house with a gun and 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 they're threatening your family what are you gonna do you know and that's the one that that i get asked a lot and then this was taking that to the the world villain you know the the marvel villain the it's all you know like you said it's all in theory and everything and and I like how you brought it down to th- that's the wrong question. That's not even the the reality. It's what about and this is what we don't like. What about you? <laughs> what about me? You know. And that's what it is. If we're disciples, that's not where we put the focus. The focus is: Am I forgiving? Am I yeah. turning the other cheek? Am that's I right. choosing to to um, walk in? And and here's the thing: Is that God's if, if I could put it this way, God's love is his justice. No, that's precisely correct. Or better yet, God's mercy to all is his yeah. form of righteousness. Okay. Right. That's good. God is righteous to say, I forgive all of you. You're all equally forgiven. The only people that are going to have problems there are those that won't do what God did and forgive everyone. They'll hold on to their grudges. You know, late in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, um, those sins you retain, you retain. Those you forgive, you forgive, right? Yeah. Let me tell you something. That's not about giving the church a prerogative to decide whether or not somebody's going to be forgiven. What Jesus is saying is, those of you that learn to forgive sin, you'll get forgiveness. But those of you that keep on retaining sins, you're going to end up becoming a trash can. You know, Mike. You know, Michael. I was sitting here as as you were talking, and I was reflecting on when I'm going to interject this thought. I was uh, just got home about a half hour before our podcast started, and every Monday I meet with a, a group of uh, church leaders, and they are. Um, they're a pretty awesome group of guys. I mean, they're they're on this journey right along with us. They nice. actually like this. They actually like this podcast. Hello, my friend. Welcome to Town. Right, they're rebels. <laughs> right. But today we were talking. And I I was sharing that um, in the shadow of the cross is the place that we live. We live in that shadow. We live at the cross, and. Something you've shared in weeks past, I was sharing with them, that what the cross represents is it it represents forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiveness for all. Yeah. Absolute forgiveness. Total yeah. forgiveness. You know, and when, for instance, the scripture says that we ought we need to pick up our cross 
and follow him. When scripture says we need to die to ourselves daily, what I was sharing is what that, what I'm coming to learn that that means is that I need to walk every day in forgiveness. Yes. And I'm not talking just about, oh, I'm forgiven, praise God, hallelujah, I'm forgiven. No, no. In walking in forgiveness to everyone who God brings in my path. Yeah. Whether they're um, getting in my face and resisting me, or they're just a, a, a quasi friend, you know, that doesn't know the gospel yet, doesn't know that they're forgiven. Right. I have an opportunity still to exercise and to model forgiveness towards yeah. them. Yeah. And yeah. in doing so, just the, the very scripture that you said, um, just shared, I shared that. Mm. Whose sins we forgive, they're forgiven. Yeah. So I've, I've got this co-worker, let's say, hypothetical story, but I've got this co-worker who is in a, uh, what I have been taught in my church is a sinful lifestyle. And I'm sitting there because I've been brainwashed by whatever, evangelical thinking or whatever, that this person is a sinner and if they don't repent, they're going to, you know, and whatever. Right. Right. And on and on the story goes. And then I get a hold of this message. Mm -hmm. And I go to work today and I say, I'm going to choose today to forgive that person for their sin. If, but, but, but that's assuming that that's a sin. I get that. I get that. I w and I will, and I will get there eventually. Yeah. See, I don't think that there's any such thing as a sin against God. I don't think that there's any sin you can commit against God. Um, and all this moral stuff in the Bible, it, it, it just yeah. comes out of the human brain anyway. So, yeah. you know, to me, where sin is, 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 is in our relationality. We have, to we have to understand that sin Good point. Is, is in our interrelationality. Even when we are by ourselves and we, quote, may do things that are sinful, it's in just an indication of our broken relationship with ourselves. With okay? ourselves. We sin ourselves. against ourselves. We, we can sin against ourselves and we can sin against others, but not the Father. The Father has raised Christ from the dead. That's the announcement that all sin is forgiven. End of story. So therefore, we can't sin against the Father. Therefore, according to Romans 5, just like in Adam, so also, curse, curse was passed on to all, so in Christ, justification to all. Correct. And you're right. So, so sin is its own, or sin has its own punishment built sin within is, it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this is the problem with justice, the category of justice. Right. The, the, we say God is just, and, and what we're really trying to say is that God does the right thing. That's what mm -hmm. we're really trying to say, all right? Um, according but, to our wisdom. According to our wisdom, but our yeah. but our category of justice yeah. has previously really uh, been defined through that Janus face God concept. Yes. Okay. And so even today, so-called justice movements, the ju <laughs> like the, the big justice movement of today. Now look, is there injustice? And we'll just do America. Talk America. Is there injustice in America? Absolutely. Is there a history of injustice in America? Absolutely. These are undeniable realities. Okay? Now, can the regular population, do they have a mechanism by which they can change that? They do the voting. They can vote in lawmakers that will change the law. Right? We have hate crimes now. We didn't have hate crimes 20 years ago, right? But the entire Christian left has gotten sucked into a very Marxist 
liberal reading of history whereby God is on the side of the poor and God hates the rich. Mm-hmm. Now, this narrative has its basis in the prophets. Okay? There's evidence that Jesus uses this dichotomy to say something to the rich, but it's we have made the distinction at the wrong place in our concept of justice. And so for us, justice is always about retribution, evening the scales. Yes. Okay? And somebody has to pay. There has to be poine, pain, punishment. Those are all, those three words are all related in Latin. You know, that's why people in the news, somebody dies in their family and they say, I hope that killer rots in hell, you know. Mm-hmm. You've got to be pain. You've got to be payback. And so that's what justice is all about. And Jesus came to show us that that is not who his father is. We thought that's who the father was. In fact, we thought it so much, we thought we would get, make sure we got justice by killing Jesus the heretic. <laughs> right. We, do, we really did the right thing. Look at us, father. <laughs> we killed your only son. <laughs> right? Troublemaker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Not and, Messiah in the world, and and the whole time you're talking, I keep thinking about you know. There's that scripture talks about vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and people you're think of that that vengeance on steroids, you know. Um, and, and what I my, my mind keeps going to is just as we were talking about um, if if you forgive anybody, their sins will be forgiven. You know, I, I go right to Stephen with Saul, um, and how when Stephen's being being murdered similar to what happened with jesus you know he's being murdered he says father forgive them they don't know what they're doing and and right there is saul of tarsus who we know saul of tarsus down the road you know becomes the apostle paul and i see that as fruit but i also see that as god's quote unquote vengeance that that's what god's vengeance looks like is he takes the thing that was twisted in the wrong direction and turns it into something beautiful and fruitful and to me that is why his vengeance doesn't look anything like ours as he turns he turns it into something beautiful and loving and and completely transforms it so i would say his vengeance is transformation not not destruction okay that's nice but you're gonna you could never apply that to a biblical text oh really no because you're you're the category of vengeance or orge or wrath <clears throat> is never conceived that way. Okay, because nice you're thought. saying the the context when it was used, yeah, is is yeah. talking vengeance directly as like wrath, yeah. vengeance. Okay, but I guess Lauren interpretation 2023. <laughs> well, look, look, this is the very issue that separates Paul and Johannine Christianity from the Jerusalem Church. That's the issue of what is God's justice? How does God make righteous? How does God rectify? What is God's righteousness? What does that mean? Okay? And that that division's in the New Testament. We have books that are pro and books that are against. You know, Matthew, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, Jude, the book of the Revelation, very pro that. Paul, the Ohanine author, Hebrews, Luke, Mark, very anti that they're both there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah it, it it but you do see the uh the just like you're saying that the releasing of the forgiveness of sins that i i do believe that paul was fruit of of stephen's forgiveness right there when it is own execution just as we're fruit of jesus forgiveness towards us at the cross of of murdering him yeah I mean, that's, yeah. Um, Paul never mentions Stephen's death in his writings. No. You know, but that doesn't mean that something wasn't haunting him as he traveled to Damascus. I, I personally think, I, I mean, I can't prove this, but I think Paul was actually more impacted by Ananias giving him his sight well, back. Yeah, that's correct. Well, you, well, you know. yes, and accepting him as a brother. Yeah, because I, I, I think that really shaped his view of, of the church and what the church is. Well, and it may well have been Ananias calling him a brother who was formerly an enemy, and perhaps if he was there, 
historically at Stephen's stoning. And if Stephen uttered those words, bam, put those two together, and you've, you've got a Paul that we're trained to turn into a, a, a post-Thessalonians Paul already. We're trying to get him to think these young these thoughts young, but I don't know that we should be doing that. Right. <laughs> we got to let the poor guy grow into that, mature into that, you know? Having, having said that, I, w I want to get back to what I was saying, and, and I appreciate the correction, if it is, in fact, sin. But our evangelical training tells us that certain things are sin and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. But if I am learning how to walk in the cross, in the shadow of the cross, if I'm mm -hmm. learning how to walk in forgiveness, mm -hmm. I'm going to not not just have, uh, you know, pixie dust love for this per Correct. co-worker. I'm really going to walk in a whole different way. I'm going to see them because in my heart, I see them as already justified before the Father. Correct. And so I'm going to manifest love that sets them or has the potential to set them free from the self-condemnation of feeling like they are a sinner. That's right. And the church has been telling them for all their life they're a sinner. That's right. And and so they haven't received the good news. But I have an opportunity by walking in, picking up my cross, being walking in forgiveness. I have an opportunity to model the love that God has for them the forgiveness that is in Christ through the cross. And potentially, I tend to agree with Lauren that if it was Paul that was holding the coats that was actually there, and Stephen actually said that, he couldn't have got away from that weighing on his brain. Mm -hmm. You know? I, I, and, and, I, and I think that's as we begin to model love, as we begin to model forgiveness uh, towards the people that, whether it's our upbringing in church or it's our upbringing as a right-wing conservative or our upbringing as a left-wing whatever, uh, as we begin to divest ourselves of that and learn to walk in love and forgiveness, we become much more of an evangelist, if you will, Oh, yeah. of the good news than, um, you know, passing out tracts <laughs> or signs that tell people they're going to hell. <laughs> and, you know, two-point two question, are you going to heaven? <laughs> yeah, so, so the metaphor Paul uses, he says, I am um, crucified with Christ. Crucified. Yes. Nevertheless, <laughs> I live. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not me that lives any longer because I'm crucified with Christ. And I'm also crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. Mm -hmm. That's death all around. That's the severing of all relationships, yeah. Yeah. except for us and Christ. I am crucified with Christ. All the others, everything gets severed. So what, what does it mean to be of the world? Well, the Christians obviously have their definitions of worldly. Don't drink, don't dance, yeah. don't No this. Harry Potter. Whether, no, no, whatever, you know, I mean, my God. And if you're part of the leftist woke crowd, it's, you know, know this, know that, da, 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 da. Everybody's got the litmus test and everybody's got the rules. And if you don't follow their particular rule system, you're worldly. That's just a crock of bad stuff. Okay. So, I kept PG. I, I <laughs> Good so for you. <laughs> we can get to more theaters now. Yes. Um... Is is that worldly? And the answer is no. What does it count, count? What does it mean to be worldly? Now this is where it's absolutely essential to go. Oh my gosh, we are talking about what does it mean to be human and the way we've done this thing called human. Good. And now I have to study history and anthropology. I have to learn from the past. And what is it? What is it that I see? What I see 
is a species that keeps trying to justify its its own existence, that keeps trying to prove that it has a right to exist and it doesn't need a creator. And I see a species that is absolutely bound and determined to wipe itself out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I see a, a very sick species in need of a divine physician. And I think the good news is that, man, that is, is, is exactly... We, we've all been healed, you know? I mean, our life is a story. Our lives are stories of healing and growth and maturing, and, you know? The Father yeah. has been wonderfully active. Yes, and, and I was also thinking on the, along the lines of, uh, Jim, you, you used a phrase that I really liked. You said, it's not pixie dust love. Um, and, and I thought, you know, that's also a good thing to look at, too, because one of the things when we talk about love, you'll also see people kind of flip to the other side as if love means you never say anything hard or you never say anything that makes people uncomfortable. And that's also not love is that love doesn't mean we're just all fluffy and it's all pillows and unicorns and everything's wonderful and, you know, sarah, sarah, whatever. And, you know, any all three of us have, have our parents and we know that when you're raising a kid, love also has a correction side to it. Because you love the person, you do have step out once in a while and go, you know, I don't think playing in the streets a really good idea right now, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so, because I'll see people post things, like friends of mine who post these really uh, wise kind of confrontive things, just like you, you guys have often shared, and, you know, things to do with, like, the evangelical church that are amiss. And people will be like, well, that's not very loving, and that's why I that's why I bring that up right now because no, it is because when the motive is I want you to grow up, I want you to be free, that is loving because I want to get the chains off you. And if if you have a broken bone, it's not love to go, hey, your bone's sticking out, but hey, that's all right, you know, don't sweat it. You know, love says, you know what, we need to reset that bone so that so that you can function again. And, uh, and so that's the other side for people going, well, you're talking about love, but, you know, I hear all these harsh things. Well, love also means healing and resetting bones and having to correct paths that are crooked and things like that. But the motive is to lead to life. The motive is not to condemn you to hell, to cut you off. And that's the difference is the path of the correction is it to lead to life and to healing and wholeness and to walk in forgiveness and peace and love your neighbor, or is it to condemn and, and render you useless and, uh, and, uh, and uh, scapegoat you or anything like that. So I just wanted to throw that in there because uh, for people who get kind of confused on it, because um, love is definitely as, as Michael, as you were saying, it, it doesn't, it, when you look at human history and you, and you look at where we've come from, when we, we talk about sin and, and, and sins and things like that, you can definitely see that the issue has been the, uh, the, the, the violence and the harshness that we've had, the, the wickedness we've had to each other. And, and done to ourselves and not so much the, the little, uh, did I watch Harry Potter this week? And, you know, things like that. Well, we, we think sin is moral. And so we cut moral categories. And okay. if a person repents, we'll forgive them. Um, sin is not moral. It's only relational. It, it, you know, um, you've, neither of you have ever sinned against me then we could make our whole life and we would never sin against each other. But if we did, and it, we would say, gosh, you know, that, that, that kind of slid under the belt, hurt, and blah, blah, blah. And, and I know any of the three of us would say, man, I'm, I, I'm sorry. You know, I, yeah. I, my, my, my apologies. Even though it's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, um, we're, we're going to end up back at Marcion again. What does the just God of the Hebrew Scriptures have to do with the loving Father of Jesus? You see, we keep coming back to this over and over and over again. Why? Because we have never been able to figure out how the good news of the gospel fits into a Janus-faced God concept. We keep trying to put the square peg in the round hole. Right. 
Yes. Well, I, I, I think also, I think we have to take a, a closer look at, at the Lord. He's walking by the seashore, and he sees fishermen, and he says, you guys, come follow me. He goes by a tax collector's booth, and he sees a tax collector, and he says, come follow me. He sees a zealot, and he says, come follow me. You know, he, he's not he's not inviting all think-alike people and saying, you know, you guys are pretty well lined up with my way of thinking, so, you know, you guys can be my disciples, you know. And, and, and then he finds, you know, he doesn't find, they bring to him a woman taken in adultery, and he says, I don't condemn you. He sees a, a small man up in a tree, and he says, come on down, I want to have lunch with you. <laughs> He's a friend of publicans and sinners, and so you see that side of him, which I would call love being manifest. And then you see him overthrowing money changers' tables, and you see him calling the religious leaders all kinds of names, you know, and resisting them at every hand, and you say, ah, see? See? Love lets you confront. Love lets you put people in their place. Love lets you... And I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that the only people that he spoke sharply to, the only people that he really chided, if you will, are the people that were supposed to be representing the Father that were actually leading people away from the Father. And he's I'm... like, okay... You beautiful, guys, beautiful. well said. You guys, you know, uh, you're you're pissing me off right now, <laughs> you know, and because you're supposed to, the kingdom was given to you, but it's going to be taken away from you and given to another. And you know, you're 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 full of dead men's bones. You could have been alive. You could have had the whole, you know, enchilada. But this thing's going to be ripped out of your hands because you're not representing the Father. And, and I think we need to understand that if we speak harshly about certain things, my heart is not like, oh, let's expose all the things that I've ever been offended by it's it's no it's really it's like let's get this let's get this gospel right mm -hmm. and i don't mind offending or speaking against people that are supposed to know better people that are that the gospel was handed to them and they're supposed to be teachers and they're leading people astray they're putting them in bondage you know you add laws on people that neither you nor your fathers were able to do. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to go really charismatic on that and give a big old amen. <laughs> that was really good, Jim. That was really good and well said. Well, how about a hallelujah? A hallelujah. I'll get up and do a little jig. <laughs> Michael's a musician. Get on your drums, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was funny growing up my my friend who was a charismatic and i was a staunch baptist growing up you know he would always come to my church and go where's the drums where's the drums <laughs> well after you say amen and michael says hallelujah i'll say i'm about ready to get my preach on <laughs> exactly but but that's just really good that that because it really brings the focus down that it's like Jesus wasn't confronting them just because he could confront people and 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 to point out wrong. It's yeah. that it it almost seems like it was like on a personal. You're talking to someone who is representing and knows the Father intimately, and he is seeing people who people are looking to saying, oh, they're showing us god they're showing us the father and you could see that it, it that that really bothered him you know that they're not 
And, and, and I think he was probably confronting just as much for the sake of the people listening as for the, the Pharisees, because you could, so that they understand the, these people are not representing the Father. Look, we want to be careful not to psychologize the Gospels. That's number one, okay? Really, it's very, very important. For example, the cleansing of the temple. Uh, what is Jesus doing there? Jesus gets angry. The Greek word orge is never used in the text. He does not use the whip on people, only on the animals to get them out of their cages. He's forbidding people from carrying their sacrifice, sacrifices on sacrificial dishes, dishes, the skuos. He's stopping people that have those vessels. He's making a protest against the sacrificial system, the way it had, it had become essentially monetized. Yeah. Now, Jesus is not displaying anger or wrath. He's making a prophetic statement. Good. And he will then turn around and say, because of this, it, you're going to end up with the revolution of all revolutions and Rome is going to come and take this place away. So we have to be careful. Jesus does not appear uh, as a, quote, angry person. Uh, the diatribe of Matthew 23, some of that may reflect the historical Jesus. I think a fair chunk of it reflects uh, Matthew's community's issues as it is defining itself over against reconstituting post-70 CE rabbinic Judaism under Johann ben Zakkai. Mm. And they're having to redefine who's the true Israel, right? This Jewish-Christian movement or the now new synagogue system? So that's number one. Number two, we don't want to psychologize the Gospels. We want to be very careful because they do give us a psychology in anthropological terms, in terms of the human condition, we, we don't want to try and analyze Jesus' feelings. That's number mm -hmm. two. Number three, anger is human. O okay, anger. What is anger? I mean, what is anger? Anger is a response to shame. Gershon mm -hmm. Kaufman observed this long ago. We humans... If we were, when we were apes, we were in that dominant submission hierarchy, and when, when we, we did this, we covered our heads, the fight was over. But humans don't like to lose. They don't like to be shamed, and so they get angry. When you corner an animal, and it has no other response but to fight, that animal is not angry. That animal is in survival mode. Okay? We humans, however, get angry. What is anger? Anger is the response to shaming plus rationality. Why do I have a right to feel this way? And then I create that scenario where the other person's wrong and I'm right, and now I get angry, and it is righteous anger because it's been rationalized. Mm -hmm. It's anger is a sin, pure and simple. Yeah, that's good. And then in line with what you're saying, Michael, in because it seems like I, I, I don't, I don't know this that well, so I'm, I'm curious. Do you know in um, – because in Matthew's gospel, you know, he, he uses the phrases like bro to vipers and things like that. Is that in John at all in the fourth gospel? Does he use that kind of language at all? You are of your father the devil. Okay, okay. That's why I was curious. So, okay, so he did. Interesting. So, yeah, so but, – but you're right. It's, it's that we read those words and I guess we bring our own attachments to it that that's something I would say in anger. And it's like – so we attribute that to that Jesus must be angry. But, uh, but it, he, he's just making a statement quite possibly. We, we, it, look, human beings have been making Jesus in their image friggin' forever. <laughs> okay? That's, that's the sin. We're not called to make Jesus in our image. We are called to allow him to create and transform us into his image. Into and as long as we think yeah. as long as we think that we can make him in our image, then now now we've 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 got a standard we can conform to and we can make it. Whereas we see we we understand who we really are. We know that we are gonna be transformed from glory to glory even up to the day of our own death. Right. Yeah. Really good. There is no gospel without discipleship. There is no, there is no 
I, I love you, and I'm just a really good Santa Claus God. Just like, oh, it's okay, go do your thing. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not God is good and kind and jolly and fat. No, 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 no. It's not the gospel. I agree with Jim on this. It's, that's just silliness. It's liberal silliness, you know. Might as well have the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Right. <laughs> you use a word, and, and we've used that word several times in podcasts before, discipleship. We're growing in this. Yes. And and anybody who thinks that they're not, or has who has stopped growing, yes. it's like, okay, I know everything I need to know. I've got mm -hmm. it all figured out. Um, is doing themselves a, a major in, in service, injustice if you will um you know i i came back to a seeking a relationship with the lord uh in 1971 and that's 52 years ago mm -hmm. and it's only been in the last dozen or so years that i've actually been in a place of like let's start all over again Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, you know, let's start learning. Uh, let's put yourself back into discipleship mode. You know, uh, mm -hmm. the wholehearted follower, the seeker, the you yes. know, whatever you want to say, yes. uh, the student mode. Yes. You know, yes. and if I live another twenty or, or you know, God forbid, thirty years. <laughs> Jim, water out. <laughs> really? Actually, Lord will push me, and I'll have my hands on yours in front of me, and so he'll push us both. Oh, there you go. But if I live another twenty years, I'm still going to be in learning mode. Amen to that, bro. You know, and 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 it's okay. It's okay that there are some things that I've learned that you're going to share and I'm going to say, yeah, I'm not sure, Michael, that it's really that way. There's things you've learned and I'm going to say something you're going to say, no, Jim, it's really not that. And Lauren and vice versa, you know, and back and forth. And that's okay. Of course. That, that's not the same thing as saying, Michael, you are a blooming idiot if you believe that. And it's like, I'm not sure I want to do this podcast with you anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure I can call you brother anymore, if you believe that, you know. And and that's what the church world has been doing forever. Yes. Instead of simply saying, wow, that's a perspective I've never considered. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to give some consideration to that. And one, of the, one of the things, Jim, I'm doing is, you know, is I'm writing a book. Um, uh, the subtitle is um, Christian Discipleship in an Age of Crisis. That's the subtitle. Oh. The title is Enter the Dragon, which is a direct uh, reference to the Bruce Lee film. Okay. And the uh, fellow I'm writing it with um, is uh, a master, you know, black belts. And, mm -hmm. um, and then I have 20 years of uh, shamanic training, Native American wilderness shamanic training, and we were just talking for a long time about the disciplines. And um, so when you go back to the early church, if you want to look up discipleship, you're not going to find very much. Hmm. There's very little about what the church taught there. There's glimpses, like in the Epistle to Diognetus or so, until you get to the catechumenate. Now, the catechumenate started by uh, Pantaneus and then followed by Origen in Alexandria. And there's the first kind of school, right? And discipleship was always practical, ethical, okay? It was also, you know, a think thing, but it was always practical. And it always looked like the Sermon on the Mount or Luke chapter 6, the Sermon on the Plain, or Romans 12 and 13, that's Paul's version of it, or the book of the Didache, that's a Jewish Christian version mm -hmm. of it. And in every, and, okay, so Keith and I said, one of the things that Aaron Milovich brings out is that in this process of discipleship in the early church, there's always a mentor-mentee pattern 
a person that wants to become a member of the church comes under the mentorship of someone mature who then disciples them for one to three years in this love your neighbor as yourself, forgive, do this. And after three years of living this way, they're given an opportunity to make a decision or a commitment. And if they say yes, then they get baptized. <laughs> then they get to participate in the Eucharist. Then they get the Lord's Prayer, you know, these kinds of things. But discipleship preceded, quote, entry into the church for salvation. So what we've decided to do is, is go back to that mentor-mentee thing, and we're framing the Sermon on the Mount as um, a spiritual a, a discipline, like learning to play the piano, like learning karate, mm -hmm. like learning healing, mm -hmm. like anything. It's a discipline. The building blocks, you start with the basics. You build, 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 get better, 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 better. And then what's always the lesson that's learned when one has reached the top? Where does one go? Back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Over, right? And um, so we're thinking of, of discipleship this way. The church is kind of like a dojo. Mm -hmm. There's a master. Well, the master's the master. The master got there because the master practiced a lot more, right? Right? right. But the master, a good master, doesn't treat their students mean like the guy did in um, Cobra Kai and uh, <laughs> right. wax yeah. on, wax off, whatever right. that movie was, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. No, a good master yeah. teaches his students everything they can learn or, or able to learn, and, and then those students go off and form their own dojos. Mm -hmm. and they hive off, boom, boom, boom. That's how. Mm -hmm. That's how. The, so we're trying to reframe discipleship in those categories, so that it, discipleship is not law. It has nothing to do with legalism or anything else. And the church is where I get to practice forgiveness. This church is full Boy, of that. That is so that's awesome. You know? That's so true. Yeah, and and, and then it but even. It, it even makes the church make like more sense when you look at it like a dojo because it's like I'm going and I'm I'm learning like you said to forgive yeah. my brother I'm learning to love my brother I'm learning to be patient yeah. with my brother that's yeah. that's good I like that yeah I really experienced this at a church in Indianapolis um oh Tommy's church why am I blanking on the name it was wonderful uh, and this is a congregation that really practices this and they have some cantankerous people there I mean I was. I was doing Sunday school class, and this one old guy went after me, and I walked out. I walked out. I just, you guys, you know, I mean, it was like, whoa. I mean, but they love him. They, they just said, you know, this is who he is, and if you come back, you got to get used to it, you know? That's like that's like level 2.0 training at that church. Oh, Christian, the Englewood Christian Church. They put like public, the Englewood Review of Books and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. The pastor well, there, Mike, oh, God, I can't remember Mike's last name. Had the, he was the one that, when we were talking, and I said, you got a lot of God talk at your church and very little Jesus talk. He says, well, you know, they're free. to, to, to We don't bind them to, to creeds or language, and so they're learning, right? And um, at one point, he, I was talking about, you know, the importance of nonviolence, and he says, you know, only pacifists worship the Father. Wow. <laughs> And I just to me that was one of the most brilliant lines I'd ever heard. That's great. Yeah. I, I I think part of learning to love, learning to live by love, is allowing another person to have all kinds of in my opinion, squirrely beliefs. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about uh, pacifism, mm -hmm. but you know, Jesus, who was the teacher of pacifism, had a zealot on his inner team. No, no doubt. No, you doubt. know, and, and 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 I don't see him taking him aside and saying, "Look, boy, we need to talk about some stuff here." You know. You know what's interesting is is Jesus never commands them to give up their swords, and they all carried them. They yes. all serve him. He never commands them to do that. But right. he, he he makes it clear, if you choose this, to live with this, you're going to die by this. 
Yes. And I, and I won't carry one. Jesus won't carry one. Only one time when he sent them out, he said, don't take a sword this time. Well, he tells them not to take anything. But that's the point. He told them, don't take a cloak. Don't that's take correct. an exit. Don't take that's your correct. lunchbox. Don't that's take right. your, yeah. It's Have like, nothing that, don't take anything anybody would want. Right. You won't need right. to defend yourself. Yeah. And do you know what they could do because they did all that? They could cast out demons. Yes. Because later on in that chapter, they're trying to cast out demons and they can't do it. And they can't Why? do it. Yeah. Because when they got back, they picked up that sword. Picked they picked up, up their, their stuff. stuff. Yeah. They picked up that stuff again. And now they're powerless. Because they're not in the reign of nonviolent fathers, fathers nonviolent, you know, powerful love. Oh, so that's I, a I, great so, connection. So but I guess what I'm, what I'm like saying. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is. If I had a, a, a brother in my circle of friendship that believes that God has a third eye and that third eye is in the middle of his forehead and it's in the shape of a triangle, it's like, what does that have to do with me loving him? No. Or, even, or even accepting what he teaches that is in line with the gospel. Correct. But in the... Christian circles, it's like, I won't listen to a thing he says because he believes in God's third eye. It's like, are you kidding me? We're growing in this thing. Maybe, and I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but maybe he has an insight that I need to hear or maybe over a period of time, he is going to, oh my God, I can't believe I used to think that God has a third eye. I've come to a deeper, you know, and I, I forsake that. But it doesn't change what we're growing in discipleship. It doesn't change our mutual love for each other. And certainly it doesn't change the gospel itself. So... I, I think we need to stop doing this kind of petty. We're still talking about the justice of God. We're, we're just kind of taking a left turn. But this petty pick and choose who I want to listen to because they maybe, I mean, God, maybe they pray to Mary and the saints. But maybe they have a deep relationship and an understanding of Christ's sacrificial love, and I, I need to walk in in relationship with them. Yeah, if if the average evangelical uh, knew how absolutely ridiculous ninety five percent of their doctrinal statements were, if they understood <laughs> that they <clears throat> would never, never have been accepted by anybody in the early church, and probably not even the reformers themselves. If the evangelicals took their doctrinal statements and everything else that they've done and their apologetics and all of this and realized how absurd that all is. I mean, there's an entire tradition with tens and twenties and hundreds of thousands of books that they read and they use, and they are the gatekeepers. And I just want to say to them, they are dead. They are guarding a graveyard. There's nothing there. They have nothing. They have absolutely zero. Why? Because they are not following Jesus. They're getting tied up in the intellect. They're getting tied up in reason as though we are saved by knowledge. And that's Gnosticism, and that is the perennial heresy. Right. I remember a, a close friend of mine um, who's who's quite a ways down the road walking with Jesus, and he was sharing with me, he goes, uh, this was few, about a couple decades ago, and he, he was sharing with me, that, well, I guess about a decade ago, and he said he read one of the best books he's ever read in his life on on brotherhood. He said it was amazing. It was it was beautiful. And he goes, it was written by Pope Benedict. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and, and it was like, and, and he said it just, you know, for, for both of us, it just, you know, blew our minds kind of that, that was one of those moments of like opening our box and going we gotta we gotta like look out of this box you know there's 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 some beauty out beyond this world that we've always been stuck in that's that's so good lauren 
Did you yeah. did you remember I praised Pope Benedict's book on Jesus in the introduction to the Jesus Driven Life? Yeah, you did, and that was yeah. the thing that it came to mind too when you shared that because I remembered my friend having shared, um, and David, you know, it was uh, I mean, uh, Jim, you know, it was David Fredrickson who had who had shared yeah. that with me, and then and then you shared about Pope Benedict, and I'm I've still I still have yet to pick it up, but I'm like I, I got to read this guy's writings because he's written some good stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. he just passed. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, we are actually out of time. Um, we're again. again. Once again, this has been a really good conversation, and uh, um, who knows where we'll end up next week? We'll probably continue somehow, some way down this same vein because this has been really good. So that's all the time we have for this week. Um, real quick, you guys, um, both of you are uh, published authors. Um, where can people find your material? Jim, they'll they'll have to uh, send me an email. Uh, I have about 70 copies here at the house at Papa, P-A-P-A, Durkin, D like David, U-R-K-I-N, as in Nancy, at gmail.com. Let me know you have want a copy, and I will tell you how I can get it out to you. In about a month and a half, that's what they're telling me, about six weeks, it will once again be available on Amazon. Awesome. And Michael? <clears throat> yeah, my books are available uh, at Amazon.com. Just go, I have an author page there, and so you can go there and order the books. I have two YouTube channels, one under my name, one under Preaching Peace, and I teach uh, a class. I teach a theological class, and uh, Lauren is part of that group uh, on Facebook. And I'm doing uh, I'm reading through the Gospel of Luke right now using uh, uh, a variety of of uh, hermeneutic methods and uh yeah so and uh both of jim and michael stuff let me just vouch for them um get good stuff go for it get it um michael's classes like uh for me it's 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 like getting a a, a bible college class i mean it's it's a, a seminary it's as it should be um not not, not the, some of the versions we get now it's it's been it's really good you guys and jim's book too i've said last week that a good friend of mine praised it as one of the best books on the churches that he's read so so um guys uh thanks for sharing and uh hopefully you guys listening will we'll jump on some of the materials and we'll catch you all next week.